Am I too loud? No. Okay, good. All right, when I took my first pastorate many moons ago, that would have been, man, 1999? Wow. No, 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 no. 2002. 2002. So 15 years ago, many moons ago. I, I met an unusual man named Dennis. And as I got to know Dennis, I realized that through no fault of his own life had dealt him a pretty difficult hand. And it was at this time, you know, that I, I God first impressed upon me this truth that you've all heard. But for the grace of God there, there go I, right? But for the grace of God, there go I. And though I knew prior to meeting Dennis that my personal beginnings were far from tragic, I mean, God gave me a lot of blessings in my life, but his story blew my mind. And so I thought, for the, but for the grace of God, there we go. And not only this, but I began to realize, as I shared last week, you know, God's given us each a cup, and he's filled it up to a certain point. And our responsibility is not for what's in that cup, but we're responsible to pour what's in our cup into your cup and into the cup of others. So I realized in that moment, man, my cup is fuller than I ever imagined. I don't feel very special. You know, you probably don't feel very special when it comes to Bible knowledge or spiritual prowess. But God has given you a lot more than you think, and he has given me a lot more. And it became clear in that moment that I had a lot to give. So we began studying the purpose-driven life together. Remember that book? We began studying the purpose-driven life together in Humble Grounds Coffee House in, in uh, Winder, Georgia, on a weekly basis. Another time I remember feeling deeply grateful for my spiritual upbringing was in a Bible study I'd been invited to lead in China. So there I am in rural China. And with very simple language, I was able to describe what I thought to be pretty basic truths. But to those folks, it was profound. And again, I was moved by God's blessing on my life, the, the foundational upbringing that I had received. I mean, I had a lot of chances as a, as a youth and a young adult to be learning scriptural knowledge from trained teachers. What a blessing. So it was nothing to be sneezed at. And though many of us, I think you would agree with me, if you've had a spiritual upbringing, maybe you haven't, you're grateful for that. You say, man, I'm so glad that my parents dragged me to church, right? I'm so glad because I have a foundation that I can lean back upon into the future. But we often feel shortchanged in other areas, don't we? I'm grateful for my spiritual upbringing, but I feel shortchanged in other areas. I mean, so many people have had so much more to work with than me. I mean, think of their, their family of origin compared to mine, their social status. I mean, some people have so many financial resources, natural abilities, or maybe they've had educational or job opportunities that I have not had. But as Andy Stanley so eloquently says, when we go down this road, there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. In fact, God wants to do something in your life and my life that's mind-blowing for each of us, and it will help us to be fully available to do His will in this world. He wants to grant us contentment. Now that's a tough one, isn't it? Anybody struggle with contentment in this room? And if you don't raise your hands, you're not telling the truth, right? <laughs> we struggle. We say, you know, God, if only you'd have given me what they have. Man, I could go places. I would be so great. God, if you'd let me win the lottery, I'd be so generous. I mean, I would, I would be the most philanthropic person you'd ever met. I would, I would give it all away. Just keep a little bit for myself. God wants to grant us contentment. And we're going to see a familiar passage today, which contains likely one of the most famous verses of all time. 
And I think you're going to be surprised and challenged with how serious God takes this issue of us having enough faith, because it takes faith, to be satisfied with the hand that he's dealt you and with the hand that he's dealt me. It takes faith, doesn't it? Because we see all the holes. We see all the gap. We see all the lack in our lives. And we say, God, what's going on? Why did you not give me what they have? So Philippians chapter 4. From this passage, I'm going to submit to you four prayers for each of us to pray in the coming months. Beginning in verse 10. Paul says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So the church of Philippi, they were concerned about Paul. They cared about Paul. They had a relationship with Paul, but they didn't know what to do about it, right? They were genuinely moved by the plight of Paul and others, but they didn't know what to do about what they felt in their hearts. And that happens to us, doesn't it? Sometimes you and I, we're moved in our hearts. We care, but we don't know what to do. I mean, what do we do about the starving children in Africa? You know, what do we do about the problems that we see in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our community? We don't know what to do, right? I mean, Jack and Neil were involved in Celebrate Recovery, and that is a response to a problem that we don't know how to fix. People are suffering with addiction. So we care, but we don't know what to do. And as we'll see later in this text, there did come a time when God revealed to the Philippians how they could help. And when he did, they did. When he revealed what they could do to help, they helped. Because when God shows, then we know, right? When God shows, then we know what to do. So what's something that God's been stirring your heart about in this season of your life? He's been moving on your heart. Something bothers you. Something is drawing you. Something is moving you. You don't necessarily know what to do. Well, here's what you can do today. Action step number one is you can pray. Pray this. Pray for God to reveal what you already feel. That's the first point today. Say, God, reveal what I already feel. I'm already moved. I'm already stirred up. I'm already concerned about this, but I don't know what to do. So, God, just reveal what I already feel. Let me know. Just, just give me one action step, God. Tell me what to do. Who do I need to call? What do I need to pursue? What do I need to investigate? Reveal what I already feel. And that's the first prayer that I believe that God would have us pray today. Now, after affirming their willingness to follow through, Paul makes clear he's not on a fishing expedition for additional support. And in order to establish this point, he makes one of the more profound statements in all of Scripture about contentment. In fact, this is what he is referring to in the well-known verse that follows. And I'm going to give you a little background that will maybe surprise you. So verse 11, Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He said, I'm not twisting your arm. Because I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Can you imagine that? I mean, is that your story? Is that my story? No. But he's learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And so do you, right? I know what it is to have plenty. And so do you and I. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul's learned to be content. Now, wouldn't you know, wouldn't you like to know how to do that? I know I would. Something I struggle with on a daily basis, being content in any and every situation. 
I mean, this blows my mind because we live in a society that's like this, right? When you and I aren't satisfied, then we need to start it, stop it, buy it, sell it, borrow it, finance it, operate on it, medicate it, earn it, steal it, or whatever it takes to what? Change it, right? If you're not satisfied with something, we've got resources, we've got opportunities, we've got lawyers. Call somebody, change it, make it different. There's certainly no need for us to accept it, right? Why would you do that? And there's certainly no need to, for us to allow God to leverage it. And this is the really tough part. If, if our circumstances don't change, then we blame God, don't we? God, where are you? God, you failed me. Where have you been? Where are you at? Help me. Fix it. Come on now. But God's perspective is different. In another passage of Scripture, when referring likely to a physical ailment of his own, Paul was afflicted. One of the reasons he shared with one of the churches was he was in such poor health that he had to stay there. And while he was there, he shared the Gospels. Paul says this about his own affliction. He says, three times, 2 Corinthians 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You ever felt like that? You've got a situation in your life and you pleaded with the Lord. Take it away. Fix it. Change it, please. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And satisfied with the answer, Paul says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. In other words, it may be your very weaknesses or challenges which God intends to use to display his strength. And so this idea sets us up for the next verse. What is the secret toward being content with your situation in life? What is the secret? And now we get the famous verse, verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Sorry, sports fans. This isn't a verse about competitive sports. Even though it's used as that, you got banners coming across the football field. It's not about being the champion. It's about having the courage and the faith to be satisfied and to accept that whatever God's given you, it's enough. So the secret is I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. His strength in me. His strength in you to be content. So the second prayer today is, God, show me the secret, please. I mean, the first one is, reveal what I already feel, God. Open the, show me what to do. But now it's, show me the secret to being content. Show me the secret. God wants you, he wants me to find contentment in life. But here's the question for you and me today that's going to be a tough one for us to swallow. Are we going to require that God change our circumstances before we allow him to change us? Tough one, isn't it? Am I going to require that God change my circumstances, fix my problems, before I allow Him to change me? I mean, He may very well change our circumstances after we allow Him to display His strength in us. But what if, like the Apostle Paul found, He called it a thorn, an irritant, something that caused Him to walk with a limp, something that impeded Him, that held Him back? What if God chooses not to remove some thorns? right? What's going on, God? 
What if he chooses to leave them so that he can make his power perfect through our weakness? I mean, do we have the faith to accept it so that he can leverage it? Because that's what he does. It's when he has his servants and they're suffering, but they accept that this, God didn't cause this, but he allowed it. It's from the hand of God. Then God can leverage it. He can use it to display his power and to draw other people to him because everybody else, you know, what is the saying? Everybody's normal until you get to know them. And everybody's perfect until you get to know them. And then you realize everybody's broken. We're all messed up. We've all got problem areas. And I'm not talking about, you know, weight. We've all got problem areas, right? And surgery's not going to fix it. We need God's help. We need God's strength. Because we've all got issues and we're all broken. So show me the secret, God. Show me the secret to being willing to accept whatever comes from your hand. Verse 14, Paul says this. He affirms them for their involvement. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is leading up to the third prayer. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Romans 12 talks about rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we're up for that, right? I can be happy for you when you're happy. I can be sad for you when you're sad. But this takes it to the next level. He affirms the Philippians from moving beyond sympathy, beyond even empathy, to actually sharing the load. And my mind immediately went to this phrase in the Lord of the Rings. You know, who's seen it? If you haven't, this is going to fall flat. Come on. Give me a few people. Yes, yes. Okay, great. So Sam is, uh, Samwise Gamgee is Frodo uh, Baggins' um, faithful companion. He travels with him all the way to Mordor to complete the, the task that they've been assigned to do. And so at some point, Sam sees how, what a burden that Frodo's carrying with the ring, you know, the evil ring of power. And he says, can, can I help you share the load? And at that point, Frodo gets incensed because he thinks he's trying to take it for himself. But Sam's heart is pure. And even though he's rebuffed at that time, for the rest of the movie, you see Samwise Gamgee, the faithful companion, right by Frodo's side, helping him share the load. And in fact, right, right before the climactic scene in the mountain where they destroy the ring of power forever, Sam actually picks up Frodo on his back and carries him up the rest of the mountain. That's, I think that's what God's asking of you and of me. You know, We see our friend. We see our family member. We see our co-worker, our colleague. We see that child, that student, and they're struggling, and they've got a burden that they can't bear. And God's saying, what can you do? What can I do to help share the load, to help bear their burdens? So who's God putting on your heart today? There's people on my heart. I know he's putting people on your heart. And what are some practical ways that you can begin to share the load and begin to bear their burdens? The third prayer today is, God, lead me to help share the load. You know, reveal what I already feel. Show me the secret and lead me to help share the load because people are bearing incredible burdens that you and I know nothing about. And they're going to be reluctant to share. But we can ask. And we can be proactive to seek to help bear their burdens and share Lastly, Paul shares several verses with the same theme. And the theme is this, invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. Now, our temptation is to invest when? Now, right? My, we had a plumbing problem. I got that plumbing fixed. You know, Lee recommended a guy, and I was so grateful. But we're focused on now. We're not focused on then. We're not focused on 
eternity. But God wants you to think bigger than that. He wants to think longer than that. Paul says this in verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire, this is the key point, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's saying, I'm not fishing for donations, but what I am interested in is you doing things that will be credited to you, that will be a credit to you and on your account. And what he's pointing out is that any contribution that they give, financial or otherwise, is not a gift to Paul. It's a gift to God that will be credited to their account. So the last prayer is this today. God, lead me to invest in eternity. Lead me to invest in eternity. Recently, we were up at Lake Oconee and uh, riding around on a rented boat. And uh, you look around on, on, on a lake, and uh, there's all these beautiful houses. I mean, I'm talking like three, four story, I mean, manicured lawns, fountain. I mean, fountain. fountain in the backyard. And people have spent unbelievable amounts of cash, you know, acquiring the property and making it exactly what they dreamed it would be. And I know that you're thinking the same thing I was. Must be nice, right? <laughs> Must be nice. Sure it would be nice if we had that kind of situation. But then I noticed the one was for sale. And I thought about that for a minute. Now there's probably somebody who spent many, many years amassing wealth. And they've spent all of their resources acquiring this property and making it exactly what they dreamed it would be. But then the day comes when they have to move into a home. Or maybe they've already passed away. And then what happens to that thing they value so much? for sale to the highest bidder or if they're in financial trouble to the lowest bidder or maybe it goes back to the bank and so what's it all been for because the truth is for you and I is when you invest in one thing you divest from something else right when you invest in one thing when you give to something you're taken from something else so what happens when you divert all of your resources all of your time all of your energy all of your financial resources toward your own comfort and then you're taking away from investing in the kingdom of God. Let me paint you a picture real quick of what it looks like when we choose instead to invest in the eternal rather than the temporary. It is said that the true test of a man's sincerity in making the world a better place. Everybody talks about that. All the politicians talk about it, right? Want to make the world a better place. Want to, want to make America whatever, you know, great again. Want to, want to bless everybody. Want to fix all the problems. But how can you tell when that sincerity, when it's really true, is when he develops the habit of planting trees under which he will never enjoy the shade? And that's a reformer. That's somebody who really cares. They're affecting things. They're planting trees under which they will never enjoy the shade. It's not about them. It's not about the temporary. It's about the eternal. And that is the attitude that's being described. Because the bottom line today is we talk about these four prayers. You know, reveal God what I already feel. Show me the secret. Lead me to help share the load and lead me to invest in eternity. The root of all of this, the source from which this, this ability springs is, is the bottom line today is God-inspired contentment. 
fuels our engagement, doesn't it? If you're content, if I'm content, if we have the faith and the courage to accept the hand that God's dealt us, then it fuels our engagement. But if we're not content, what's going to happen? Are we going to pray any of these prayers? No, we're going to be so focused on ourselves and on changing our circumstances and on asking God to get involved. God, I need a bigger car. Come on. I need a new roof. Come on, God. But God's wanting to teach us for our own benefit to be content because he knows it's going to fuel our engagement in expanding the kingdom of God. Verse 20 says this, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And when you and I choose to embrace contentment, through his strength, and seek to supply the needs of others. You know how Paul had his needs met? It was through the church. Paul was out there on the front lines doing God's work, and there was the church back behind, just ordinary folks, working class folks. And they said, God, what can we do to help? He revealed it. And they followed through. So if we'll seek to supply the needs of others, then God's going to be glorified in an unmistakable God's going to be glorified in a way that will get the world's attention. Remember Acts 4? Nobody saw what they had. Nobody saw what they owned as only for them. Right? Nobody saw what they owned as only for them. And it changed the world. So God wants you and I to be content so that it fuels our engagement in expanding his kingdom. And he will be glorified through our interaction. I mean, it, there was a season when I was in college, where there was a lot of emphasis put on your relationship with God. And so the idea was that you go off by yourself to some faraway place and spend lots and lots of time alone with God, and you come back a better person. But the saying goes that there's some people that are so spiritually minded, their mind's always in the clouds, they're reading their devotional, they're praying hours and hours a day, but they're, they're so spiritually focused that they're of no earthly good. Right? So, I mean, think about Moses. In the story of Moses, he went up to the mountain by himself for 40 days and had this incredible experience of God. But the people didn't benefit while he was away. In fact, they, they screwed things up, made the golden calves. But it wasn't until he went back and engaged with the community that they actually benefited from his interactions with God. So, God is glorified through our interaction. That's where it's made real. That's where God changes things when we're interacting with one another. So this is how our series kind of winds down. He is greater than me, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. God is greater. Christ is greater than me, and he chooses to work through we. We is greater than me. And when we obey him and we care for one another, when we pray these four prayers, you know, God... Reveal what I feel. God, show me the secret. God, lead me to help share the load. And God, lead me to invest in eternity. When we do those things, then people see Jesus. And they're moved. And they're intrigued. And they say, something is up with those people. People see Jesus. In closing, I wanted to leave you with three personal encouragements. It's been a special, you know, 18 months for me. It's been uh, great to meet all of you, be in your homes, eat lots of meals, um, yeah. share in a small part your burdens, and you sharing mine. But three encouragements I'd leave you with today. Number one is love one another. 
I mean, that God is love, love one another, the people that God's given you in this church. Keep on caring, keep on calling, keep on visiting, and, and love one another because it honors the Lord. Number two is that the war is real. I mean, some of us live in a bubble. Some of us are right in the war zone. And you know who you are. But the war is real. The enemy is fighting against the kingdom of God. And if he can't steal our souls, he wants to cripple us. And there are people out there right outside your door and right in our community and in your schools and your workplaces that are struggling. And they're battling just to make it through one more day. And you and I can be an encouragement. If, maybe you're in the battle. Maybe you need to have the courage to step to speak out and reach out. But maybe you're like me and you haven't had too much bad happen to you. And there's a whole lot more in your cup than you think. Maybe God's calling you to reach out to be a blessing. Because the war is real and the enemy wants to destroy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is active. Just turn on your television set. He is active. And then number three is that this church... God still has work for you to do. And just recently I've seen people step up. And they're still stepping up. And God is still at work. He still has work for you to do in this church. And my prayer is that he would bring that good work that he began in you so many years ago, 100 plus years ago, that he would indeed bring it to completion in his timing and in his way. God, thank you for today and for this special group of folks that have become near and dear to my heart. And as we prepare, God, to celebrate the, our time together um, with food, I pray that you would uh, continue to move and work in our hearts and our lives, God, so that we would be specially prepared, that we would, be, we would become content, God. We'd be able to accept um, the hand that you've dealt us and then pray that you would leverage it for your glory, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray.